Here on the Planet Podcast, we don't shy away from tackling tough issues or try to create false images of ourselves. We think that there is enough of that going on in the world today. As a matter of fact, the inspiration behind this podcast is to speak to and inspire regular folks through personal stories that being real, being vulnerable, and being true to ourselves is not weak. Actually, it's quite the opposite. We believe that true strength is revealed through our ability to continue to grow through our struggle. And we want this podcast to serve as a reminder that in our darkest hours, when we can't see the way out, when our backs are up against the wall, and it feels like life has us buried, we've only been planted. Welcome back to the Planet Podcast. I'm Dustin Hensley. I'm here with John Theobald. And our guest, Tony Miltenberger. Thanks for having me on, guys. Hey, Tony. Hey, welcome, Tony. Tony is the pastor of the Restoration Church in Centerville. He is the host of the Reclamation Podcast. He's a veteran. He's a husband. He's a father. And he's an author of the marriage book, Unbreakable. My Pretty man. impressive resume. Yeah, it's a nice resume. Yeah, we should also add hot mess to the hot bottom mess. of it. I think hot mess is probably what most often <laughs> describes what I'm doing on a daily basis. I was just thinking hot. <laughs> well, <laughs> I did go to the gym once this week, <laughs> so great. I'm pretty feeling I'm feeling pretty good about that actually. <laughs> That's good. That's yeah. good. Your yeah. uh, New Year's resolutions are going pretty well. Well, um, so funny story, right? Uh, I set a goal this year in January to. Um, start working out more. I was thinking about running a half marathon. January 17th, I'm at the gym with my 13-year-old. We're doing box jumps, you know, where you jump up and down. Oh, yeah. And we're going at a pretty good pace. We're doing Jack and Jill box jumps. He's going, I'm going, and I'm like determined. I'm 39. I'm not going to let this kid, this punk kid who happens to be mine, show me up. And so I jump off the box. My knee gives up the ghosts, right? I tear my ACL, Mm. my meniscus, and then I pass out at the gym. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was real bad. What'd your boy do? Uh, he actually, he was super cool about it. He went and got help, and he didn't laugh, and he didn't put me on the gram. <laughs> so oh, I, I, I was like, my dude, right? Like, yeah. uh, So now, like it was early January, I was thinking half marathon, you know, jump out the gym, all those things. Mid-February, I'm thinking, if I can get my pants on by myself, <laughs> I feel like it's a pretty good day. Because <laughs> for so long, I couldn't bend it. I'm four weeks post-op today. and. Uh, matter of fact, PT tomorrow. So I guess that's why you have these crutches and that brace on your leg then. Huh? Yeah. And it's a massive brace too. Like, uh, like they were, I said, doc, why is it such the aggressive brace? And he goes, uh, cause I feel like you've got an aggressive personality. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that's fair. Yeah, that that's is a, fair. That's a solid assessment. Wow. That's awesome. That, that's intense. But you uh, look like you're doing all right. Getting around well. Yeah. I, you know, it's, um, I'll tell you this. It's, it's slower. Like my life is just significantly slower than what it normally is. Mm-hmm. And there's some, um, I mean, there's some things to be learned in that. I, I'm not one of those guys or pastors. It's like, man, God wanted me to slow down. I don't necessarily think it works like that, mm-hmm. but I do think there's a redemptive grace in slowing down. And so giving myself a little bit more time. Uh, I, I mean, it was, it was four weeks before I could shower myself, man. Like, oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, and so my wife had to help me, and that sounds cool at first, but it wasn't. <laughs> yeah, wasn't it wasn't cool at all. So it's hard to ask for some help like that. Yeah, and and you know, obviously I'm preaching every week. I, I took two weeks off work during the surgery, and then and then back in, and I'm in a chair, and that's different too. Mm-hmm. Like because uh, I'm not normally a sit down and talk kind of guy. I'm more of a let's 
I'd like to get into it a little bit. Yeah, that probably changes your rhythm and your address a little bit, I would yeah. think. Yeah, yeah. Tough. Yeah. Wow. I got to ask this. How high were the box jumps? 30 inches. Okay. That's pretty good. 30 yeah. inches. Yeah. I, and, and just so we're all really clear, I landed the jump. Yeah. Like it wasn't, it wasn't going up that I tore everything. It was coming off. So, uh, in, in, you know, workout world that rep counted. Yeah. yeah. No doubt. I'll so, I mean, if we're really being critical, I did one more rep than my 13 year old. <laughs> and we are. Yeah. I'm and just saying, like, <laughs> it's, Hey, it's all yours, man. <laughs> That's yeah. fantastic. Wow. Yeah. So what's been going on this week? I, you know, for me, uh, PT tomorrow and, uh, I did watch. Did you guys see that basketball game on Monday night? Uh, it was LeBron. And, oh, it was Sunday night. LeBron and Zion. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Uh, both my boys just finished basketball season, so we're in this really weird space in between basketball and baseball, and nobody's really sure what to do with all the extra nights that we have. And so we're sitting down, we're watching this game, and I, I felt like, like you know, I'm, I'm 39, and you guys are about that age, and we are witnessing, like we got to witness MJ in the nineties. Yeah. LeBron now, or, or, you know, last five years, 10 years, LeBron. And then we're going to get to see Zion. Like, I feel like we're in the epicenter of really, and university of Dayton. I mean, hello, go Flyers. Flyers, I mean, like that's the real, like basketball is good right now. It is. It really is. I watched that game. Zion threw the dunk down and then LeBron came down and hit a three pointer just right past half court. Like, one more point. Yeah, <laughs> it was it was amazing. Speaking of basketball, too, I my daughter is uh, fourteen, and so her school ball just ended. She's been working on a, a shoulder surgery. She had oh. two shoulder surgeries this uh, over the last nine months, eight months. Wow! So she had to sit out the entire high school season. Her first year mm-hmm. of high school basketball, she wow. had to sit out, and she got cleared to run last week, and we had uh, tryouts this week for her AAU basketball. She's played on this team the last couple of years, so she is on on a team, but we picked that up. So we had Saturday tryout, Sunday tryout, Monday night practice, today's Tuesday, we'll have practice again tomorrow. So we're not in that lull right now. We're already back to basketball about four days a week. Do you ever feel like you're just a professional Uber? Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Can't so. wait till she gets her license. And then the, the other thing going on this week is the, the market. I'm in banking and, and real estate. And so this market crash has been interesting to say the least. So trying to keep up with all of that. Well, it's been crash and bounce back, right? Crash and bounce back. And then a little minor crash today. Oh, okay. it's, it's, it's very volatile so right it's now. Volatile, yeah. yeah. Keeping things interesting. Gotcha. Yeah. But mortgage rates are falling. So, so now's a good time to refinance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, what about you, Dustin? So the only um, thing that I saw in basketball this week, um, especially regarding LeBron, was that fake little uh, tap where I, you know he uh, he got the the you know the the slap came up and it almost looked like it may have kind of nicked his. He's a professional flopper. Oh, dude, that was yeah. embarrassing. Everybody in basketball is. It's, yeah. it's part of the game. It Let me tell of... you who wasn't, though. Who? MJ would have never done that. 
uh, I'm going to say BS. Where's the BS button? Because <laughs> if it was allowed, MJ would have, that man was more competitive. Oh yeah. He would have, I think he would have stepped on his own, over his own mother to get no, to the win. I don't think he would have. I think he had too much heart. For one that. more free throw, one more point. I think, I think he would have done it too. I think people back, you know, from back in the eighties and the nineties just had, you know, oomph, you know, he might've just got back just up like, and, and punched you. I if was you just really going to grind tapped it out. Him. Yeah. That, yeah. yeah. That's it was more that way. Yeah. <laughs> I strongly disagree. <laughs> well, you're allowed. I'm with the pastor. <laughs> of course you are. <laughs> no, but uh, all kidding aside, it's been a good week. Um, yeah, yeah, clearly my knowledge of basketball is not there. Um, I'm not a huge fan, um, college or, um, you know, professional. So you guys definitely, you know, win there. So I'll, I concede. Um, but... As far as uh, just a normal week at work, and you know nothing, nothing too major going on in my world. Uh, just kind of, you know, got got some good stuff starting to line up and come in, and you know, just just grinding, just grinding. Yep. All right. Nothing, nothing, nothing stands out to me. I mean, I, economy's not affecting us um, on a on, you know for this week. I'll say that you know. Good. That's yeah, good. I'm not noticing it. So. What's the most exciting project you're building right now? Ooh, so that it, I do have a really nice one in the works, and it's it's kind of cool because it is. Are you a, allowed to tell us? Is this proprietary? No, I think it's. I think I can talk it's public? about it. Right. I, I think I can talk about it. Um, it's going to be a. I just got to worry about the competitors, bro. Okay. Yeah. I don't know if you're really yeah. good at your job. I wouldn't worry about competitors. <laughs> so that's why I'm going to tell you. About it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there is a solar panel power plant oh yeah being built pretty far out in the country i won't say what city because i you know but in ohio in ohio yeah and um it's about two thousand acres worth wow. yeah um large that's a pretty bright project that's a ah, ah, see what i did there <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome i see it <laughs> That was good. Yeah, that was good. I'm here for the dad jokes. Mm -hmm. you, you did it. You nailed it. <laughs> that's great. So, uh, so yeah, that's that's going to be that's literally they uh, they're getting like deliveries, containers, you know, telehandlers delivered. You know, this week um, I got some POs cut and get some stuff delivered from us next week. Um, I'm working with the electrical contractor there. So nice. Congratulations. Thank you. It's a nice one. Yep. So that's that's the biggest one I think currently I'll be on. Great. Yep. We want to jump in here and ask Tony some questions. I, I think do. that's why he's here. I think that's why he's here. Yeah. yeah. Tell us a little background. So, yeah, for sure, Tony. Yeah, get us into the background, man. So Yeah. Uh, no, I well, first of all, I love what you guys are doing with this podcast. I think it's uh I think it's important to to reframe a lot and um look at, at what was and realize what could be. And I think when I think of the plane of podcast, that's kind of what jumps into my head. And, and my own story is, is kind of interesting. I, I'm a, I'm a day, native Daytonian, grew up in North Dayton. And um, my parents did the very best they could. And they got divorced when I was really young. I was eight years old. And I'll never forget, we were sitting around the dining room table. The blinds were drawn. We had steak, potatoes, Green beans and cottage cheese, the classic Midwestern meal, Man. right? Oh, yeah. And and I remember because I didn't finish the steak, I was so upset because my 
my parents kind of, they pulled me in nicely and close and I had three other brothers and sisters and they said, uh, guys, we, we got some news for you. Uh, we're getting divorced. And of course, you know, eight years old, crying. My mom's mm-hmm. crying. My dad's crying. I'm crying. My older sister's crying. My younger brother and sister, who at four at the time, had no idea what's going on. But they're crying just because, you know, everybody, oh, yeah. else, everybody is. else is. Right. Why not? And um, and I'll never forget what they said. Um, remember, this is 30 years ago. They said the most important thing is don't tell the neighbors. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Right, because that's back when divorce was still like so like apropos, and it was just not one of those things. And then, and then you know, to make things worse, I would find out a couple years later that my mom actually left my dad for a woman, right? Wow. And so it was uh, she, she kind of came out of the closet that way. And uh, I found out this is great. I found out watching Oprah because Oprah was doing a special on whether or not um, gay parents could raise kids. Mm. Which, you know, again, 30 some odd years, 25 some odd years ago, that was a big question, right? Could, yeah. could, and, oh, sure. Uh, and, you know, now I always tell people now I joke, and my mom, she's in on the joke, but I, I always just say, you know, my mom was gay before it was cool, yeah. <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> so was your mom on Oprah? No. Okay. No, but that would have been so much better. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, she, yeah. No, no, my mom worked nights. And you get a mommy, and, and you get, get a mommy. Right. <laughs> 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 um, but my mom worked nights and so she was getting ready for work and Oprah was on and it was this big debate about whether or not um, a gay couple could raise kids. And, um, you know, thankfully, we're way past that now. Mm-hmm. We're way past that discussion in general. And, um, you know, regardless of how you feel about that idea, like we've understand that we're all just people trying to do the best we can. And so, uh, you know, growing up, relationships were just really hard. They were really hard. And, and that... Um, was kind of one of those big factors for me in my youth. My dad eventually got remarried. Mm-hmm. Um, I had typical stepmom problems. And, and so, you know, like, what, what do you do when you've got three moms to take to the mother Sundance at your Catholic high school? I don't know. I don't know the answer. <laughs> you basically, problem. yeah, you say, I don't yeah. want to go. <laughs> yeah. Mother's right. Day was going to break me. I don't know. What, you know, like, <laughs> I got to take out a loan for Mother's Day. Because, uh, you know, I had a mom. I had a, a, a Mary. I had a, you know, Sherry. And I'm just like, uh, I got them all. I got them yeah. all. I'm running, running, running deep here. Did you spend much time at your mom's and and her girlfriends or yeah, yeah. So it was it was shared parenting. It was shared oh, parenting. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. And so, uh, so, so I you know I think to my parents' credit is they really did an outstanding job of trying to give us the most normal life possible. And so when we were at my mom's house, they were just normal parents. Mm-hmm. When I was at my dad's house, I have no idea what they did, but. You know, sure. That was back before social media. So, you know, like mom's not blowing up Facebook. They went like, hey, we're at the club, you know, whatever. But like, um, it was, you know, it was was a process. It was a process to learn and to grow. And uh, unfortunately, I guess, um, fell into some really deep depression and some anger issues and just, you know, trying to, I mean, you know, being a teenager is hard enough. Oh, yeah. And then, did that set in as a teenager or preteen? I think it started preteen, but it really manifested itself by about my sophomore year in high school. Mm, sure. Um, I, I remember I would just sleep through a couple of classes and eventually my parents came in, all of them. I mean, it was like, it was like watching the mod squad rolling deep, man. Like I, so they all rolled in and, uh, and I had a, a kind of a come to Jesus moment and, and I had to figure out, you know, what I was going to do in order to graduate you know, what I was going to do after that. And 
there were kind of two things in my life that really gave me any stability. And it was the youth group at the church, which my parents were super supportive about and put me in. And, um, and then I was in a kind of a JROTC called Civil Air Patrol. All right. And so that's when I decided that after high school, I was going to join the Army. And so join the Army Reserves as a chaplain's assistant to figure out a way to, to mash the two things I love the most together. And um, I graduated on June 4th, 1999. And, uh, and then I left for basic training June 7th, 1999. And, and that's kind of when things really um, got exciting. You know, and it, it was both because I, so here's the one thing I realized in hindsight is I never really dealt with any of those issues. I just kind of got through them. Kind of went. Kind of went, you know, and and, uh, and then I joined the Army Reserves, and every time there was an opportunity to go somewhere, I did. So I got to go to El Salvador, got to go to Germany. Um, I ended up meeting, my, uh, met my future wife in high school, so we were high school sweethearts. We were off again, on again, but when we were on, we were really on, and when we were off, we were really off. And so, uh, so we get married in 2003, and 2004, the Army calls me and says, hey, Meltenberger, uh, you've got an all-expense-paid trip to Kuwait. <laughs> Yay, wow. I was like, man, I won the lottery. Uh, and I, I got deployed. So from 04 to 05, I spent the year in Kuwait. And that was probably um, one of the best and most difficult years of my life. Right, I had met some amazing guys who were really starting to pour into me in ways that I never could have encountered before. And yet we were doing things that um, were just really tough. We would do lots of counseling for soldiers in the chaplain's corps. We do a lot of honoring the, the fallen. So we would we saw just a lot of really bad things and learned how to deal with that. And then, um, you know, try to figure out how to, how to process all that back together. Uh, one of the cool things that happened that year was that you get to come home for two weeks in what they call R&R. And so I come home and I'm in the best shape of my life, nothing but twisted steel and sex appeal. Oh, I, I, I remember that saying. Yes. I love that one. Yeah, I knew that was coming. Uh, yeah. Say it one more time. Twisted steel and sex appeal. Yeah, Thanks that. to my freshman football coach. <laughs> he never knew that that was going to live on forever. Um, and so... Uh, it was a really good two weeks, no responsibilities, just uh, a young married couple. And then uh, I go back to the uh, war for about four more months to finish out my tour. And I get an email from my wife and she emails me and she says, hey, call me right away. Urgent, urgent. And so I think somebody has died, right? And that's, you know, it's probably a mm -hmm. grandparent or something. And I call her and she was like, hey, guess what? And I was like, what, babe? We're pregnant. Which, by the way, if you can miss the first trimester of any pregnancy and blame it on a war, strongly recommend it. <laughs> it's so about her, the only way you're not going to get in trouble. Yeah. So hers was rough on huh? the first trimester. Um, well, you don't know. Well, I don't I wasn't know. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. I, just, I thought she really enjoyed it. No, yeah. I don't. Yeah. Uh, it, it was a little rough. It was a little rough. But we, you know, I did my best to support from afar. And then. And then I came back and, uh, I mean, I just wasn't in a good place. Honestly, everything, everything here stateside felt so unimportant mm. and everything back uh, in Kuwait was so urgent and I felt so valued. And again, like, 
like we talk about being planted, but this is all the stuff that I had never dealt with from my childhood. Mm. You know, your identity and your value and what does it mean to feel like you've been left behind and you're not important. And so one day my wife is telling me to, uh, to take out the trash and I absolutely just lost it on her. And I was like, trash, you want me to take out the trash? And do you know what I've done? Do you know what I've seen? And, 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 and she's crying and I'm crying. And man, I remember putting my head uh, on her pregnant belly and my, fear, my, my tears just kind of washed her feet and then her tears were hitting the back of my head. And, and I just said, babe, I just don't even know what to do. And, uh, and she grabbed me by my cheeks like a, like a fat baby kind of. <laughs> and, and she said, hey, you better figure it out. And, and that kind of, that kind of propelled me. It just, mm -hmm. it, it started me on a journey to learn as much as I can about what does it mean to be married? And, and what does it mean to be married in a, in a good way? And so eventually the army, um, I kept, si kept signing up for every class the army would let me take on these things. And so then they called me back up and they were like, Meltenberger, we're so tired of seeing your name. <laughs> yeah. Why don't you just teach these things? <laughs> and so, so from 07 to 08, I traveled around the Midwest doing relationship retreats. And I honestly think that it would have never happened had it not been for my parents' divorce. You wouldn't like, have had the interest to do it, you mean? Well, I, I just, I, it just the, that burning desire mm -hmm. to make sure that I, I didn't put myself in the same position that, that I felt like I was in as a kid. You know, like I, I just never would have been there. And so we help soldiers come back from deployment and we help soldiers get ready for deployment. And that's eventually how I got into ministry was I was doing so many marriage things that there was a church job open and they were looking for somebody with that skill set. And, uh, you know, as a reservist, you can you still looking for, you know, civilian work when you're back home. And so um, I started working for a church. And that's when I thought I had my whole life really together. Like I was like, man, I'm things are going great. And then one day uh, I was pastoring and I grew up Catholic, right? And so alcohol and all of these things were always just a big part of life. And, uh, and that was fine. And, and in the Methodist church, it's not like against the law to, to drink or anything. It's, you know, obviously they want you to show some sort of uh, moderation, which I would later learn is a, str is a struggle for me, moderation in general. And so uh, I was doing a ministry at the church I was at at the time and they asked me to stop drinking. And I was like, why? And they were like, well, it's a, it's a recovery ministry. Like if you're drinking, <laughs> if you're drinking, it's not, it's not the best example. And I was like, yeah, but I mean, just cause you got a problem doesn't mean I have a problem. Mm, classic. And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, so that, so then I got really mad. I got really mad that alcohol would have that much authority over my life. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so I was like, fine, fine. I'll show you. I'll stop drinking. And I did. I, I haven't touched it since. I was September 9th. That was six years ago. And I uh, haven't, haven't touched it since. And, uh, but it turns out if you can stop drinking and still have really bad coping mechanisms. Ooh, preach, preacher. Hey, you took your medicine away. Yeah. Yeah. And so it turns out uh, I didn't really have a drinking problem. I had a coping problem. Mm -hmm. And, and it, it uh, I'm convinced now that it just goes all the way back. And so like I stopped drinking, which was great. And everybody was like giving me props and so, well, for uh, so many people were surprised that should have been a sign. Yeah. You stopped drinking. Oh, that's oh, so surprising. Right? Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. And I was like, you know, it's for Jesus. <laughs> right. Like, so whatever. And, uh, 
And so then I, I, uh, I, I tried eating and I didn't like the way that left me feeling. And then I tried the gym and, uh, well, I didn't have that much time. And then, um, and then eventually, uh, there was a girl, there was a girl at work who was, who was into everything I had to say. And, um, th- and this is, this is just how things work, man. I was publishing a marriage book in 2014 and that was coming out that year while simultaneously having an emotional affair at the workplace. Mm. Um, and if it wasn't for a very dear friend, it would have gotten much, much worse. Like it, it was on the path to going back from a place that it couldn't come from. And, um, and, and that was when I, I went into my friends and I was like, dude, I, I think I'm in trouble with this girl. And he was like, oh, you're way past trouble. Like, I mean, he's just, I mean, like, I think he saved my life, right? Cause you know, at that point in time I had three kids, mm. you know, like everything. I'm a pastor at a church, mm-hmm. like, uh, and the church had every right to fire me and they didn't, you know? So he, he said, he said, Hey, if you don't tell your wife tonight, I'm telling her tomorrow. Wow. That's amazing to have that kind of a friend actually. Yeah. Um, I, those are the people that we really should try to seek out to surround ourselves by, to be honest with you. People with that kind of stones, that kind of... Oh, yeah. Uh, They're going to push know, you. Yeah. That kind of... Uh, to hold us accountable in a in a real-life way. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's serious stuff. That's a true friend. Well, so I, I really think if we, if we play out this metaphor of planted, right? Like, you're never going to be a healthy plant if you don't have someone who's willing to do the pruning for mm-hmm. you. Like, and, and this guy was just basically like, I got pruners and I'm pruning you right now. <laughs> like it or not. Right now. And then, and then, so then that night I went home and I told my wife and that was a horrible night. It was one of the worst nights of my life. Oh, for and then sure. the next day I had to go in and I had to tell the lead pastor. Mm. And then, and, and the, the other person who was on staff with me, the woman who was on staff with me, then like she had to say, I was like, we're all, at least like crap. <laughs> 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 oh, wow. I mean, it was horrible. It's it was a nightmare. It was, I, it was I, and I laugh about it now because, um, because I, I recognize that I, I wouldn't be where I was today if it weren't for all of those things. Right. If it weren't for all those things. And so there, there was a path to recovery that involved really uh, working the steps so that I was, I could deal with my, my issues, my coping issues and, um, you know, it, it ultimately all went back for me to a sense of identity and how, how to be in relationships and be myself. And what does that mean and look like? And, and honestly, I'm, I'm still figuring it out. Mm-hmm. Like, um, nothing has changed my life more than the, the philosophy of one day at a time. Mm. Like, and, and people ask me all the time, are you, are you ever going to drink again? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm just not drinking today. Yeah. <laughs> like, I just have too much to lose. I, and I just don't ever want to get back to a place where I mask pain. Right. Where I mask pain. So when the emotional affair was going on, were you drinking or had you just quit drinking? I had just quit drinking. Okay. And so it was like... and Oh, that's right. So that that picked up. That picked up. So I I was looking for something Mm. to make me feel good about myself. Like a distraction. Yeah. Yeah. Like it just like, oh, what could it be? What could it be? And, and, you know, like, and and I, you know, honestly, I still find myself in in moments where I do that now with with sugar. Yeah. Like sugar is like the acceptable one in my life right now. And, and so trying to get to a place where I surrender my identity to Jesus on a daily basis. It's just such, and look, I'm, you know, I've been to seminary, I've been in the church world, I've been sober now for, uh, you know, six years, I've been 
my marriage has completely rebuilt itself from the ground up. And we're, I mean, we've prayed together uh, every night for the last um, six years. I, I mean, like the, we started praying together, we picked up new disciplines and, you know, my whole life has been changed because of that moment. And I still struggle with things like sugar. Like, and, yeah, and so, sure. and surrendering my life to Jesus every day. Like, it's just like, it doesn't go away, but it, it does look different which I'm super thankful for. I'm super thankful for grace. Oh, wow. And, and eventually, you know, that, that church helped me on a recovery plan and the recovery community that I was pastoring helped me on a recovery plan. I, I got a sponsor and things just, I, I mean, things just changed. They began to change and it was, it was awful and wonderful all at the same time. And if, you know, I, I, if you're listening to this and you're in a spot where you feel like you don't know what's next, um, I'll tell you the same thing that my counselor and my, sponsor told me, which is just find the next right thing and do that. Mm -hmm. So if you're listening and you're, you're in this awful spot where you're not sure if you're going to make it, I, I just want to encourage you find a friend and do the next right thing. And, and that's kind of been, that's kind of been my mantra ever since. And, and, you know, by God's grace, the marriage book did come out and things got, went well. And, you know, like my marriage is in a great place. It's not, I mean, it's not, perfect by any means, but w what we've done is we've, we've learned how to talk and, um, it, it all feels so connected to me that I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't wish it on anyone, but I wouldn't trade it for anything. Mm -hmm. Sure. How far along were you with that book when all that came out? Yeah, I, I, I was done. It was, it was done. done. Okay. Like it, it was, it was due to come out. Like, uh, it had just come out. Like, so like, like I'm doing all the book public, public's, uh, you, you know, publicizing and talking about the book and done it. Meanwhile, I'm living in sin, mm -hmm. like I'm living in sin. And, and again, I'm just, I'm very thankful that it didn't ever uh, materialize to a physical place where I couldn't come back, you know, like um, it would be harder to come back from it, you know, cause I, I know me enough to know that, you know, like it, it, it's the more shame I felt, the more I'd likely to hide and, you know, like, so yeah, it, it was, man, it was awful. Yeah. Isn't that, I just think that that's, um, isn't that just exactly how God tends to work a lot of times is to put someone whose um, biggest weakness will, or, you know, certainly has a weakness in that area um, that will, you know, be someone else's strength or, um, you know, when I am weak, he is strong. Yeah. You know, that, that, that's what I'm getting at is like you were going through the struggle in that area and, and, you know, had that kind of vulnerability going on with that emotional affair in your life at the same time. I mean, clearly God had put you in a position to release a book on the same topic. I mean, that wasn't necessarily Tony's doing in, in my mind. Yeah, and, and you can certainly make the argument that the enemy is going to attack us in the area that we're most passionate about. Sure, um, and and I, I could, you know, I could certainly, in hindsight, see the enemy. You know, and, and we had just had our third child. Uh, my wife is like, she's having all all those feelings. We both knew it was our last child. We're no longer called to that ministry. Mm. Uh, you know, like, and and so it was a it was a perfect storm. Um, and again, that now, you know, several years removed, you know, over five years removed, I'm super thankful for it. And at the same time, 
there was a lot of sleepless nights. Well, I can't imagine how easy it would have been to fall into the, well, I'm just a hypocrite trap and throw it away. I mean, because I know if if I'm standing in your shoes right then and I've been in situations very similar to that, um, I mean, that I can't imagine the temptation to just be like, ah, this just forget it. You know, Uh, I mean, were you faced with that? Well, so uh, so the book was already out by the time that this really all developed to a place of unhealth. Okay. Um, And I wrote it with my mentor. And his, his name's Charles. And Charles and I had written the book together, but making that call, hey, hey, sir, is my old army chaplain. Mm-hmm. Hey, sir, uh, so turns out, turns out that uh, I've made a really bad mistake and I need to confess and repent. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that was, I mean, that's like getting punched in the gut and watching all of your breath leave the air and be sucked up into a black hole. Mm. It was the worst. No doubt. So, so at that point, um, so that was a turning point then it sounds like. Yeah. I, I, and I think because we decided as a couple that we were going to get healthy together and, and figure out new disciplines. So like one of the things that I've learned in this process is, is if you aren't dedicated to your disciplines, you'll be destroyed by your distractions. Mm, if you're not good. dedicated to your disciplines, you'll be destroyed by your distractions. And so we forget oftentimes as humans that there are disciplines to relationships because we don't, we don't talk about them much, sure. right? Like how's, when's the last time you had a date with your spouse? When's the last time you prayed with your spouse if you're up of the praying sorts? When's the last time that you had a business meeting? You know, we are so quick to divorce spouses but we don't ever divorce kids. Like if, if we were really serious about marriage, it would be the opposite way around. We'd divorce our kids before we ever divorced our spouse. Right. And so I think a lot of those disciplines are just things that I had no concept of at the time. And even writing a book on God's love and marriage, um, it didn't become super real for me until my marriage was on the line. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about um, what 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 things you did. What did you do um, to go back through that emotional processing um, from the things you didn't process as a child? And what was that like? And what kind of experiences did you have? Yeah, I think. Um um, I mean, the first word is hell. That's the first word that came to mind. It was hell. Like it was just a lot um, for me. Prolonged counseling has been the best gift I could give myself. So now for seven years, I've been seeing the same counselor at least once a month. I still see him, right? He's the best. His name's Steve. He's incredible. And he knows my story inside and out. He's become a dear friend and a trusted confidant. And now, like, I'm taking my stuff to him before it becomes too big for me to, you know, like, I I just don't ever feel like I have to handle things on my own. In the moment, though, I was seeing a counselor every week. We were seeing, um, I was seeing a counselor. We were seeing a marriage counselor. I think my wife was seeing a counselor. We did a couple marriage retreats. We did uh, a, a walk to a, a, a marriage encounter weekend. I mean, if they're, I mean, like, and I wasn't, uh, the church had pulled me out of the pulpit, rightfully so, right? Like, uh, I mean, appropriately so. And so I'm basically only doing admin stuff during the day and I'm um, working on my marriage. And so 
you know, you immediately cut out the things that are are slippery slopes, right? And we created kind of rules, we created boundaries, we created kind of a plan that if this, then that, right? So I, you know, and I was working the steps with my sponsor um, in addition to all of that. And so, and going to meetings um, and just being around other people who were in a place that, um, that felt like they could relate. And, and cause you know, the, the danger in all of this is to think that you're alone. Yeah. Right. And so, so even though I, I, you know, in the beginning when I first started going to meetings, my drinking stories aren't near as grandiose as others. Mm-hmm. And, and there's this temptation that I had when I first started and I'm sure um, people have experienced this before, right? Like, um, like, oh, I, like, I don't compare, I, sh- I don't know if I should be here. You know what I mean? Like, but then you just realize like, man, these are just people trying to get well. And so I would find rooms like that anywhere I could whether they're Christian 12 steps or, you know, other rooms and just, if there was an option, I'd look for it. Sure. Cool. Um, talk to me about some, I'd like to hear about some spiritual experiences that you've had or even salvation. Has that always been a part of your story? I mean, I know you talked about growing up uh, Catholic and, and, you know, so it sounds like uh, the church has always been a a big part of your life, but talk to me about some of your, like I said, spiritual or, or the salvation part of it. Yeah, so I, I grew up in the Catholic Church, and so I was baptized in, as an infant, and I've always been active in church. Um, but I would say that there's a big difference between knowing Christ and following Christ. And it wasn't until this moment where my world came crashing around that I developed the disciplines to be married to Christ like I was to my wife. Mm. And so that's really when I, I got serious about being in the Word. And I, I, you know, I wish I had some sexy, like, the Word of God came to me in a dove kind of story. <laughs> I, I really, it would make it so much easier to preach. But for me, it was just uh, doing the next right thing every day over an extended period of time in prayer, like prayer with my wife, reading the Word, um, finding healthy men to be around, and just setting better boundaries with women and what does that all look like? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So like the spiritual journey that I've been on now is not a journey of like, uh, uh, you know, I walked to the top of the mountaintop and God spoke and I was going to build altars, mm. right? The, the spiritual journey I've been on is I'm just going to do this every day and let's see what sticks. So kind of an emotional wellness, like getting better on the inside yeah. type, type thing. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then I, I, as soon as, strangely enough, as I got better on the inside, I was able to get better at my craft on the outside, right? Uh Like as a pastor, you know, and so then I went to school and I got my, my master's from seminary. And while I was there, I studied the power of the Holy spirit and I got to see things differently. And I'm like, man, you know, when, when I'm willing to put down my own stuff, you can see the fullness of God. And I'm like, give me more of that. Yeah. I'll have what she's having. Yeah. You know, like, that's those are those are powerful moments. I For think. Sure. I think. And then, last question I got would be: Tell us some about today. Like, what's going on with you? Like, in your church, and like, so you you were working for a church, right? Now, yeah. So now, so, what are things like? Well, so after um, after a year of fully working my recovery program, right, and which was you know pretty extensive, um, 
somebody, the bishop in, in our denomination, the bishop called me up and said, hey, uh, we're looking for a lead pastor and your name has been tossed around. And uh, the senior pastor that I was working for at the time gave me his blessing. And so then we, uh, Karen and I prayed about it and we, we decided that we would, we would take the leap of faith and we moved to Centerville. And it turns out that when you preach from a place of brokenness pretty consistently, God shows up and fills in all the gaps. Nice. And I'm like, I'll have, yes, yes, please. And, mm-hmm. and God has just done some amazing things in this church. Um, when, when we got to the church, it, it was called Centerville United Methodist. In the process of the last five years, we've renamed it. Um, when we got first weekend in the church, there was a, a 160 people in the church, and there were 10 kids, and three of them were mine. <laughs> right? wow. like, uh, the church was just in, in a place where it was looking for a kind of a rebirth. And as it turns out, so was I. Yeah, And so uh, I think God gave us both exactly what we needed. And this past weekend, uh, you know, we were close to 300 in worship and we had like 75 kids downstairs and God is just showing up in mighty and powerful ways. And, uh, and honestly, we're just trying to make disciples who can make disciples. It's, it's not, it's not super complicated. It looks a lot like what God walked me through, mm-hmm. like do the next right thing. Don't walk by yourself. Be consistent. Yeah. And see what God will do. You keep saying next right thing. <laughs> I watched Frozen 2 twice in the last 48 hours. Man. I got kids, man. Right. Yeah. And thing. that was a common theme through that movie. They kept saying, do the next right thing. And so it's interesting to hear you say that today. Because like for the last 48 hours, that's been being beaten to my head. Just do the next right thing. Mm. I thought that was wonderful that disney was trying to teach that or instill yeah. that into to kids and then even for sure. parents watching the show as yeah. well so that's been i don't know what that's all about well let me ask you this do you think do you think the next right thing is inherent like, do, you, do you think you automatically know what the next right thing is you know i had this conversation years ago with um a friend who was starting off in recovery and i would say just do the next right thing and they would argue with me about, well, how are you supposed to know what the next right thing is? Yeah. And I would argue and say, it's in your gut. It, it, you you kind of feel that. And then I do think you get some knowledge along the way and you have a discipline that you were talking about and that discipline guides you into the next right thing. And we could sit here and talk all day about ethics and right, morals right, and right. law and everything else, but um, nobody wants to be bored by that. But I, I do think that we are born with a little bit of, we, we know what the next right thing is. And we're kind of born with the golden rule of treating others the way we wanted to be, want to be treated and whatnot. What do you think though? Um, I would say that, I would say that most people can see the difference between the light and the dark, right? And, and if we just consistently choose the light, we'll end up doing the next right thing. And now I'm also, you know, I'm a big Jesus freak. So like, if you're not sure, you can go back to that classic 1990s saying, what would Jesus do? Oh, bro. I know. I, hey, listen, I went there. Next thing you know, I'm going to break out like a <laughs> Casting Crown song or something, right? Like, uh, sorry, that's, you know, uh, it's part of my story, man. Part of my story. All right. So, uh, so I, you know, but it is, it's, it's, a, it's a good jumping off point. Like, it's just a really good place to start. What, what, what do you think Jesus would do here and, and try to synthesize that into your life? Look for the light. The other thing is, is I, I know there are some things that I know are wrong for me. All right, lying, wrong. 
If, if I could just, mm-hmm. you know, if I could just not lie, I'm doing pretty good, <laughs> you know, because that's what get, that's what get, gets me into trouble. Yeah. If I cannot bully people, I'm doing pretty good. Mm. If I cannot, um, boy, I don't take you as a bully. That's interesting. Well, thank you, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> he puts his best. He's, foot he's a subtle bully. Yeah, he is. Uh, well, it, you know, I, I mean. <laughs> God's grace over an extended period of time. <laughs> yeah. um, if you had to work for him, I suspect. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, so I'm a little bit of a control freak. Right. Right. And, and just, so just like, a little. Dustin like, calls that just being a very good salesperson. Was, yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, manipulation. Natural born salesman. <laughs> right. I'm just selling Jesus. Yeah. Right. Just um, selling Jesus. Sometimes more assertively than others. Right. <laughs> you will. You will fall in love with Jesus right now. <laughs> It, and then you mentioned the next right thing. That was one thing that caught my attention. You said that several times. And then also you talked about praying with your wife mm. um, several times. Yeah. Can you try and share with us a little bit about how you got started praying with your wife? Because I think that's a, I, I know it is for me. My wife and I, we struggle with trying to come together and actually pray together. We do a fine job at the dinner table, right. that kind of thing. We yeah. started picking up on a, uh, a Bible plan together, sure. but it's so hard for us even to even find time to talk one-on-one about what it is we read today in our devotional, let alone take time to pray together. Uh, my marriage counselor pretty much mandated it. Like it, it was like one of those things where like, Hey, I'm not sure if I'm going to see you unless you pray together. He's a Christian marriage counselor. I was so, a Christian marriage counselor, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and uh, which, by the way, we, we had to pay for out of pocket. No insurance is covering that. Mm. And it was worth every single penny because we, we were rooted in the same values, mm. right? We were rooted in the same values. So uh, th- this is now, I do a, a lot of weddings now as a pastor. Last year I did seven, and I always make my couples pray together. And when people ask me how, this is exactly what I tell them. So if you're listening and you want to learn how to pray with your spouse, prepare to write this down. You've got to pick a set time every day to do it. Now, my wife and I, we go to bed at the same time, and so we choose that time. If you don't go to bed at the same time, that's fine, but pick a time. And I always tell the guy he needs to be in charge of it because no wife wants to nag their husband to pray. And because uh, the way I interpret scripture about the man being the spiritual leader of the household, that doesn't mean uh, authoritatively, but I think that means in servant leadership. And so if the man comes into the relationship and says, hey, at at 9 p.m. every night, we're going to pray together and I'm going to pray over you. And then I would like for you to pray over me. And so typically I start, my wife closes the prayer and we hold hands and we look each other in the eyes. Oh my goodness. It is so awkward. Wow. The first couple of years, it is so awkward, right? But here's the thing. There's nowhere in scripture that says you have to close your eyes and bow your head, right? If anything, we should be face down, right? But, but when you can look at your spouse, you're giving yourself the gift of intimacy that you would never get on your own. And so many couples lack emotional intimacy. And so here's the other thing I tell guys all the time. When you're married, emotional intimacy leads to physical intimacy. And so if you're looking for more physical intimacy, pray with your spouse. 
pray with your spouse. And so, so then, um, hold hands. You look each other in the eyes. Is that in the book? It's, <laughs> uh, <laughs> might have a bestseller. <laughs> well, right. Right. It's not in the book. That was a, that was an after you book lesson. That after, yeah. <laughs> um, but when I do marriage date nights, that's something I always touch base on because it's just so important. And so you, you look in, in the eyes, which are the window to the soul, right? And, and you remember why you found love. Right. And then you just begin to pray. And now here's the beautiful part, guys, especially when you pray for your spouse, you get to share your heart without ever getting interrupted because it's really, it's an intimate moment between you and God that you let your wife watch. And then she does the same thing and you get to see her heart. And so I always begin by giving thanks for, for whatever God's doing in my life. And then pray over my wife. I, I pray for her protection. I pray for her head. I pray for her heart. Uh, sometimes I will pray for whatever I know that I messed up that day, right? If there's tension in our relationship, I, I pray that um, Karen sees that I'm, I'm doing the best I can to serve her as a, as a husband. I just love her so much, mm. you know, and you can share some of those moments. And then we pray over our kids, whatever else is going on in our world, our community, family, friends, whatever. And then I'll usually say in Jesus name. And that's the, that's our signal that it's now her turn. And then she'll pray, usually uses the same format. And then we say, amen. And if, if honestly, this might be too much information, but if, if things are heading towards where it looks like we may have one of those physical intimate nights, we'll invite God to be a part of that. Hey Lord, we just want to invite you into this space right now as we prepare to celebrate marriage. And because it, it is for us now, it's a celebration in a different way. And I will tell you that some of our best nights have been when we do that because it, it's, it's holy, you know, it's holy. And, uh, you know, I heard something the other day that said that marriage isn't about happiness. It's about holiness hmm. and it's designed to sanctify us as we, you know, follow Christ in our relationships. And yeah, you just, ne- I couldn't have never imagined six, seven years ago that I would be inviting God into my physical intimacy with my wife. It's just changed everything. And I, I believe it was born out of prayer. That's beautiful. Well, I'm getting a divorce. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Your wife's a saint. Oh, Stop geez, it. Bro. Stop it. <laughs> no, she's great. Um, that locking eyes and, uh, you know, I, I have a problem. I, I'm, uh, I'm embarrassed to pray out loud. I, it's awkward to me, like, ex, like on an extreme level. And I don't, you know, I don't mind talking about that because it's like, I just have a thing with praying out loud. I don't know what it is. I, I got to imagine other people fight that too, though. Uh, well, so, so typically when I'm doing premarital counseling with a young couple, I'll make them hold hands, sit knee to knee, and look each other in the eyes while I'm been, in the room. Dude, we've well, it's been not there. just married yeah, couples that I you know. make do that. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> he makes the drunks do it. Too. Yeah. We're making it a habit on this podcast to like tell at the end of the podcast how we know our guests. Right. So Dustin and I met Tony back in November for the first time. Well. We met him a little before that, but Tony led a retreat for us, a men's retreat. Yeah. And he made us sit knee to knee and hold hands and look, you know, make eye contact. And it was incredibly difficult. Oh. But there's, you know, something about that. Um, there, So there was like um, an experience to that. There was definitely like a connection with that person. Um, that I had not had previous to that. That so there is there is something to it, but man, it was extremely difficult to do. Uh, it was hard. 
And that was without words. <laughs> right. Yeah. You right. add words and it yeah. was even harder. Yep. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, it's, it's sacred space, right? Like um, when Jesus calls people, he calls them to follow him and it's, it's a proximity. If I was reading in the gospels uh, just this week and when, when Peter denied Jesus, he was following him at a distance, right? I, I really do believe that our distance leads to denial. Mm. And so when we're close to Jesus to hold, hold us, we're close enough to Jesus to hold his hand, that you're going you're gonna to see some sacredness there that you'll just never see on your own. And I think the same thing is true with our marriages and our kids. You know, we, I think part of the reason why we have such a strong connection with our kids is because they're always up in our laps and they're climbing all over us and, you know, wrestling or wrestling, depending on where you're from in Ohio. Right. Like, yeah. you know, like there's, there is a proximity thing that, that creates intimate moments. And, um, and I think a lot of couples have relegated that just to sex. And, and I think we have to reclaim some of that to, uh, to prayer and to spiritual and to worship and like, man, how do we get there? That's what I, I mean, that's what I want for, that's what I want for every couple I talk to. That's awesome. Really is beautiful. So thank you for sharing all of that. I, as you were talking, I was making several notes and reminded by some of it from the retreat, you had mentioned some of that, but it was a, it was a great reminder and thanks for sharing it with our listeners. No, you're very welcome. I I think it's such a, you know, my, my prayer for everyone listening is that you get to a place of spiritual intimacy with your your spouse, and um, and as a result, your kids and your your grandkids will be changed. Yeah, I believe it. Yeah, well, there's probably somebody out there that's not as prideful as me who's like, oh yeah, I'm gonna go home and pray and lock eyes tonight. Well, hey, hey, listen, Dustin, I know that your podcast listeners mean a lot to you. They do. They do. This is one of the your passions in life, and you. Yeah. So. Uh, so how about this, John? Maybe you can help me with this <laughs> because I'm, I'm here not just for information, but for transformation. Yeah. Uh, maybe you could pray with your wife. We're in the season of Lent. So basically there's like 40 days between Lent and Easter. Mm-hmm. If you prayed with your wife every day between now and Easter, I'll guarantee, I'll guarantee that by Easter Sunday, it's not as awkward. Okay. Are you willing to try that and report back to the listeners? Because your listeners are going to want to know. They're going to want to know. And so a special Easter podcast, I'd like for you to report on this and I'll be listening. <laughs> what, do, what do we think, John? How do you feel and about that? John's like writing. Oh, I wrote it down. Yeah. I wrote it down. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I will be, I'll be checking in on you every day. Okay. All right. So I, you know, th- th- this is the Christian version of here, hold my beer. Yeah, this is, <laughs> this is, well, so you're that friend that I'm going to go ahead and tell on you if, uh, right, yeah. Right. Yeah, if you don't do it. So okay, yeah, yeah, man. yeah, I like the accountability. I, that's why I have you guys. So yeah. absolutely. Well, praise God for yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Thank you. So, um, I guess we're on to the final thoughts stage here in the uh, in the podcast. Did John? Did you have any any final thoughts here? I think I think Tony's kind of wrapped his story up, and um, I think he he told a story very succinctly. Yeah, it's a. Uh, I learned a few more things that I didn't hear mm. from the retreat. Thank you very much You're for welcome. being vulnerable and sharing um, some truths with us. I think it's gonna help. I know it's helped me and hopefully Dustin, and I'm sure everyone listening here, we, we really appreciate you taking time out on a Tuesday evening to come in here and just chat with us and tell your story. It means a lot, especially coming in on 
crutches and big brace on your leg too, man. Uh, God is good, man. You're a warrior. So, thanks. Thank You're you. You're a warrior. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, he definitely is. Uh, he's, he's awesome. He's, he's one of my favorite people. I call him sometimes through the week and we just laugh and cut up. We'll grab lunch together. And we've, uh, we've really, uh, developed a, a, a friendship over, uh, and I was just seeking this guy out for a retreat master and he, his name just kind of fell in my lap because I was on that committee to, to find one. And, um, and it was so cool how we met and God brought us together and he's really become a, a mentor and a friend and somebody that I really look up to. So thank you so much for uh, you're too kind yeah, thank you. coming on the podcast and it's been great. Great job. Glad I'll to put you up on the pedestal just a little bit more. Yeah. I've been going to that retreat oh, yeah. in Dayton at Bergamo center for 19 years straight now. And you set a new bar. Oh, well, praise God, man. That's all God. That's not me. Yeah. So, yeah. And we'll, we'll, we hope that you'll come back this next year. We I, should I, try to get at least two years in a row. Yeah. Yeah. I got to come up with new stuff. Yeah. You will. <laughs> <laughs> I'm working on it already. Yeah. <laughs> cool, man. Well, you got some announcements? Yeah, John? some announcements. Um, so, if anybody wants to find Tony and learn a little bit more about Tony, you can check him out at twmilt.com. That's T-W-M-I-L-T.com. He's the host of the Reclamation Podcast and the senior pastor at the Restoration Church in Centerville, Ohio. We're coming to you live from Foundation Community Church in Trenton, Ohio. They're very gracious to open the doors to us and let us host this planted podcast. I believe they are still continuing with a series currently called healthy things grow but by the time you listen to this they may be on to a new series yeah, but come check them out 10 45 a.m uh sundays here in trenton ohio and then also here at foundation community church there is an alcoholics anonymous meeting that starts at 7 p.m every monday the doors are open coffee is on come check it out Tony, I want to thank you again for hey, coming thanks in. Thanks so much, guys. Yep. Dustin, really appreciate it. Thank thanks you, a sir. A lot yep. of fun. Great job. Thanks, guys. I, hey, I can't wait to see uh, what God does through you guys. I'd like to have you on the Reclamation Podcast too, and uh, let you guys share your story and, sure. and kind of hear more about what God's doing. And, and let's stay in touch as we uh, we both progress. Absolutely, absolutely. Let us know. I'll be honored. All right. Thanks All a right. lot. Keep on keeping on, everybody. Peace. Peace.